You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Yandex says it was hacked with Regan spyware. The Golang crypto miner is spreading again. And the Shadowgate ransomware crew is newly active with a dangerous drive-by. Three data exposures are reported. London's Metropolitan Police are in trouble with the Information Commissioner's Office. A look at tracker behavior, the verified badge as a phishing lure. My conversation with the new head of Deloitte Cyber, Deborah Golden. And congratulations to a Loeb Award winner. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 28, 2019. Russian online services giant Yandex, the Russian Google, says it detected and remediated a Regan spyware investigation late in 2018, Reuters reports in an exclusive. Regan, a tool named after the dwarf smith of Norse mythology, has been publicly associated by Edward Snowden with the Five Eyes. In this case, the malware appears to have been active in October and November of last year. Yandex says its security teams detected the infection and contained it quickly. The company's spokesman told Reuters, quote, It was fully neutralized before any damage was done, end quote. Although one wonders how they could be so certain of this. Kaspersky was called in to help with the remediation, and the security company said that the infection's goal was espionage and that its immediate targets were developers. Kaspersky and the U.S. government both declined to comment when contacted by Reuters. The Russian government did comment, saying that they hadn't heard about anything like this going on at Yandex, but that they're not surprised because, as they put it, Russian companies are attacked every day, and a lot of those attacks come from the West. Regan tends to get pretty good reviews as a technical piece of work. Symantec's Vikram Thacker told Reuters that, quote, Regan is the crown jewel of attack frameworks used for espionage. Its architecture, complexity, and capability sits in a ballpark of its own. Trend Micro is tracking a campaign using a spreader to scan for vulnerable machines it can infect with the Golang coin miner. The scanning is interesting, as are some of Golang's more assertive features. It scans and mines, to be sure, but according to Trend Micro's researchers, it also disables security tools clears logs and histories, and also finds and kills any competing crypto mining activities that may have been present on the victim machine. 
The Shadowgate ransomware gang, also being tracked by Trend Micro, is back with what Ars Technica calls the worst drive-by attacks in recent memory. The campaign, which uses compromised websites as its infection vector, employs the Green Flash Sundown exploit kit. It actually accomplishes three things. It installs Xeon ransomware, a dangerous strain, Pony botnet malware, and a cryptojacker. The gang's activities had previously been confined largely to South Korea, but it's broken into the European and North American markets in a big way. The best protection is patching, because the usual route into a machine is through an old unpatched instance of Adobe Flash, and antivirus software usually detects the exploits and payloads. Several data exposures have come to light late this week. Krebs on Security writes that PCM, the California-based cloud solutions provider, was compromised in May by attackers who stole administrative credentials PCM used to manage clients' Office 365 accounts. The hacker's goal appears to have been obtaining information useful in gift card fraud. Researchers at security firm UpGuard discovered exposed AWS S3 buckets belonging to data management firm Attunity on May 13th. They confirmed the exposure and notified Attunity on May 16th. It's unknown which of Attunity's clients were affected, but UpGuard says it found data apparently belonging to Netflix, TD Bank, and Ford. The data have since been secured. Comparatech found and disclosed an exposed MongoDB database belonging to MedicareSupplement.com. The database appears to be a marketing leads tool, but it's said to have included some personal medical information as well. MedicareSupplement.com isn't an insurance company, but rather a firm that enables users to find such supplemental coverage as may be available to them. The data the company collects from its users includes personal information and a range of what Comparatech describes as marketing-related information. That would include lead duration, clicks, landing pages, and so forth. Comparatech says that Medicare Supplement has apparently secured the database. They add that the New Jersey-based company has a good Better Business Bureau rating and that there's no sign it's experienced other data incidents. The UK's Information Commissioner's Office has imposed two enforcement orders on London's Metropolitan Police. At issue is the Metropolitan Police's failure to respond to Subject Access Requests, an SAR, in which people inquire about certain data the police might hold about them. This seems more a matter of backlog than deliberate resistance on the part of the Metropolitan Police. Under the applicable law, failure to respond to an SAR is a violation of data protection responsibilities, not merely blowing off some citizen's random curiosity. A study by Firut looks at the hidden behaviors and concealed activities of third- and fourth-party tools and scripts on the user side of websites and web apps, with a view to coming to grips with the risks these present. What the study found was basically an expansive attack surface. News sites are especially rife with trackers. Most of the major news sites in North America, Germany, and the UK use ad trackers that automatically transfer data across borders, and they consistently send information about user behavior to Russia, among other places. Vanity has a new name, and Vanity, thy name, is apparently Instagram. Sukuri researchers say that social engineers are using an application for the swanky and evidently highly coveted Verified badge as fishbait while trolling for vain Instagrammers' credentials. 
The Hoods have set up a plausible-looking application page, but the information they're soliciting should raise red flags of warning for the properly wary user. First, they ask you for your Instagram credentials, which no reputable and thinking service would do. And second, they ask you to confirm that you are in fact you by asking for your email address and email service login password, which no reputable and thinking service would really and truly ever do. Why do they want your email? For lots of reasons of opportunity for fraud, but in particular because it will allow them to reset your Instagram credentials should they find themselves locked out of the account formerly known as yours. The information they ask for amounts to two big red flags. A smaller but still significant one is their domain name. The Instagram, it's Instagram for business.info, which, needless to say, ain't Instagram. Why would you want that badge of authenticity? Well, do your friends have one? Probably not. Be the first one on your virtual block to get yourself badged, or alternatively, forswear worldly vanity and devote yourself to better things. Yeah, we thought not. And finally, congratulations to Andy Greenberg, who won the Loeb Award yesterday for his reporting on NotPetya. His piece in Wired last year, The Untold Story of NotPetya, the most devastating cyber attack in history, is well worth reading. Congratulations and well done. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Michael Sechrist. He's chief technologist at Booz Allen Hamilton. He also leads their managed threat services intelligence team. Michael, it's great to have you back. Um, we've been seeing a lot of stories about deep fakes and the growing technology that's uh, enabling that sort of thing. And I'm curious uh, what you're seeing and what your team is tracking when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me back. I mean, so one of the things that we're, we're seeing is a little bit of uh 
how can how can attackers or, or um, those with a kind of strategic interest, you know, ice out truth? And what I mean by that is, um, our, you know, we're seeing kind of the rise in um, in the public space about who has access to the actual truth of the matter. This could be in the pro or anti-vaccination debate. It could be in the uh, fake news and real news debate. Uh, it can bleed over, obviously, to the deep fake world where we're talking about whether an image or a video is created and is uh, purported to be from the actual organization or individual itself or not. Um, it could be from also when we're talking about just uh, whether the data that you might get back uh, that, that you see in your environment is being tampered with. And we're seeing that potential with uh, ransomware payments and, and what you get back um, and determining whether that is really your data as it existed before it left the environment. So all these things are kind of, a, a, you know, assaulting um, kind of previous notions or kind of challenging kind of the overall how we kind of arrive at ground truth. And um, one of the sort of functions that we see is, is very important to, um, to countering this trend is to build an intelligence function within organizations. And necessarily doesn't have to just be around cyber threat intelligence, but one that kind of builds in a level of, uh, of confidence and a surety in the data that you work with in your enterprise and how to have kind of a, a better trust um, that what you're arriving at is is really your known ground truth um you know that like like i said this could be with uh you know data that resides even in a business application how do you arrive at that uh without having some sort of baseline of what that known data or good sort of data looks like in your environment mm -hmm. so um that's when i when i'm talking about your ground truth that's what i mean is that there are sort of ways that you know arrive at uh, a known good and a known bad in an organization and that really is a function of, of having, uh, you know, a, a good level of confidence and, and integrity in the data itself. Yeah, and I imagine with things like deep fakes, when we're dealing with imagery, um, how much are we relying on a chain of custody of being able to track what changes have been made internally and perhaps you know, externally with third parties, with partners along the way? Uh, so, you know, one of the things organizations have built is a, is a certain repository with uh, you know certain values or hash functions that are associated with certain files and data that um, you've kind of correlated to be um, the true or the authentic version of that data um, to some sort of high degree of confidence. Uh, obviously, you know nothing's perfect, and there's no 100% assurity in security or in, in confidence level itself. But you want to have kind of certain best practices and implementations built in that can arrive at a high degree of that confidence and high uh, authentication of that data uh, internally. And, and that is really, um, you know, working closely with a team that that can validate uh, this data and kind of how the mechanisms arrived at it being uh, your data. All right. Well, it's certainly uh, an interesting development and uh, one to track. Michael Seacrest, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, 
Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Deborah Golden. She's recently been named the head of Deloitte Cyber, an organization with over 4,200 employees here in the U.S. In an industry where only 5% of executive positions are held by women, she's a champion for diversity, but not just for diversity's sake. You know, I've been in the field in some capacity or another for about 25 plus years. Always been intrigued by technology and computers. Uh, I grew up in a household where my father um, was heavily dedicated to the IT profession from his collegiate career all the way through to working for uh, an organization for 35 years focused in their CIO um, shop. And so grew up with trinkets in the house, um, you know, and one of the things that my father always did was he never brought home a manual for how things worked. And I was always intrigued with how to put them together and how to make them work and, and how to think through the process of enabling them um, through technology or ultimately, you know, what you're trying to achieve and kind of traversed through my career. And so after I graduated, I have both an undergraduate and a master's degree. I actually came into Deloitte. I, I worked for another company for two years, but basically I've spent the predominance of my industrial career here at Deloitte. And one of the things that I think differentiates me and how I kind of look at how my career has evolved, I've always looked at it from a business side. So what is the business trying to do? What are we trying to solve for? What is the outcome we're looking for? And how do we talk about these things in a business sense while at the same time trying to solve for the cyber piece of it? And if you think back, you know, again, to my childhood, as I said, I was trying to solve for without having the manual. Um, Mm. And so it makes complete sense to me when I think about how my journey has gotten me to where I am of really always wanting to solve for that problem and understand the complexities associated with it while at the same time trying to achieve and help clients ultimately achieve their mission or their goals without necessarily making it a a cyber front because I think cyber has historically been a technology issue and so instead and where we need to and continue to evolve to is having cyber really be built into the cornerstone of all business aspects and how we approach um, the world, how we approach our industry, how we approach our problems. Now, as you were making your way around the organization and taking on new challenges, was leadership something that was always a front and center for you? No, actually, it wasn't. Um, I'm a heads down, work hard kind of person. And, you know, my work ethic and work attitude and collaboration um, really is front and center for me. And so I always say, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a partner's partner, and, and I don't mean that by title or by action. I mean it by the sense of I'm here for everyone, right? I'm here to help better if it's a client, whatever my client's looking to achieve, It's a, if it's my team, if it's whether that's leading up or leading down, right? And so to be in the trenches and working and having everyone else's back, while at the same time, of course, you always aspire to do something different, I didn't set out to say, you know, this is going to be what I what I am tomorrow. I just said, I know we've got to work together and try and collaborate to get there. And I think over time, I have realized that obviously, if you want to continue to evolve yourself, leadership obviously becomes, you know, front and center to that. And I think one of the things that I pride myself on is not only am I an authentic leader, I really do try to be an inspirational leader as well. So how do you create leaders amongst leaders is, is one of the things that over time um, has become really important to me as I've been put into a variety of different leadership positions. 
You know, as you look across the industry, looking at cybersecurity, there's uh, the statistics that you see are that between, uh, depending on who you ask, I've seen between 13 and 20 percent of folks in the field are women. Um, Deloitte does much better than that. Around a third of the folks at Deloitte are female. First of all, what what do you think uh, is behind that? What do you have going on there at Deloitte that encourages that? And why is that important? I'm incredibly proud by the fact that we promote a diverse workforce um, and we're really deliberate about it. It's not something that we look as a as an afterthought. Um, I myself obviously am incredibly deliberate and purposeful about creating and sustaining a diverse workforce. But it's not just me. It's the culture we've built. Um, If you think about how Deloitte has evolved their initiatives associated with diversity, it's candidly been going on since the day I joined Deloitte. We've put a lot of time and energy, as you think about, as we should, all levels of the firm really looking to create that authentic workforce that is purposeful in its diversity. And I think that's very different than looking at and saying, we need to hit a statistic. We need to make sure we do better. We need to make sure that we have X number of Y types of people. You have to be passionate about wanting to do it. And you also have to be passionate about how do you retain these types of individuals? So it's not just about getting them in the door. It's about how do you actually retain people? And I think the retention programs, you know, we are a place that people want to be. Do you see that diversity as being a competitive advantage? A hundred percent. I am also a firm believer that you need to have diversity of thought to solve problems. If you create everything in a, in a linear manner where everyone's thinking the same way, I guess it's easier. I guess maybe maybe you come to conclusions quicker because everybody agrees. And, and by the way, there's, there's good things to have about healthy tension. And that doesn't mean that diversity is always causing tension. It means that diversity is always bringing different types of thought to solving problems. And it is absolutely a differentiator. And it's also something that helps me learn, right? Every one of us should always want to learn. I, I constantly am wanting to try and understand like I said, how trinkets work. And that that includes people. And so when you think about how people think and you think about what drives individuals, how we solve problems, the more diversity we can bring to solving some of our clients' most complex problems, we're going to get there in much more unique ways. What advice do you have for that youngster who is uh, considering a career in cybersecurity? And maybe they're one of the underrepresented groups, a member of one of those groups. What words of wisdom do you have for them? You know, start early. As we all know, STEM programs are, are going more and more K through 12, and you've got so many different options so that when you think about, you know, where again is cyber? This, it's not I want to be just cyber. It's you've got individuals. I have kids or friends of mine who have children who come up to me and say, you know, my daughter, my son, my niece, nephew, whomever, they want to go build missiles and they want to go build rockets and they want to go be doctors. And when you talk to them a little bit more about that, then they're like, well, what happens if someone gets into the missile or or what happens if someone gets into the application? And so they're already thinking about it. We know the younger generation, again, K through 12, they're on computers, they're on, you know, phones, they're on devices. The world that we live in, is changing. We know we're going to have autonomous vehicles. We've got refrigerators that can order food for us. I think what we need to encourage people to do is, again, as they're doing, how do you think about the impact of those things on your lives? And I think also the dynamic of the individuals are changing too. We know um, younger professionals, younger individuals are looking to put more and more data out there, right? There's more people, whether it's on chat messages, whether it's photos. And so there's also a changing dynamic, which is interesting to me around 
privacy of data. And I think when you start talking about all these things, getting interested about those types of concepts at a very young age so that when you come into the workforce, you're not thinking about it like privacy or security is some technology component. You're thinking about it, I want to go build a missile, and it's going to be really important for me to make sure I understand cyber and privacy or data in order to do that, not just the the components of how to actually build the missile. Cyber becomes that component equally as important as the materials to build that missile. That's Deborah Golden. She's the new head of Deloitte Cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.